So Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I have to fight the urge to say Ecclesiasticus just because it sounds fancier, but I don't know. <laughs> so I tried to wrestle with that in my mind. But um, we're at the third chapter of Ecclesiastes. Solomon is life experiment to see if life has meaning with, if there is no eternity. I guess he's trying to limit himself to say, if there is no eternity, does life have meaning? Does life have purpose? Or he's saying, can life have meaning and purpose if there is no God? And which is really weird. You know, the more you think about it, you're like, this is an odd book to have. And people argued for it not to be in the Bible. But it's, but it's, a, it's an odd book for him to argue against all these things. But I think that shows the nature of God. He's not afraid of hard questions. You know, we, we, there's been some hard things going on in our community. You know, and, and I'd heard some of the... Um, one family was having hard questions. Why is this happening? Why did this happen to my family? Where is God in all this? God's not afraid of hard questions. Ask Him. You know, true stands. You know, put them to Him. And if you're truly seeking, you know, He will truly show you. And so He's not afraid of hard questions. And I think He shows that here. It's not like a book of, oh, no, you can't ever say anything. Here Solomon goes, I'm going to try to live a life and try to search these things out because He knows how men are. And men ask these questions. This is as relevant as today. The things that we're going to discuss. And so, um, yeah, that's here. So that we get the benefit. We're getting the wisdom from Solomon. And, and this week can really help us. Because man can't be happy and fulfilled and satisfied just living on this earth. This is not all there is. And Solomon comes to that conclusion. But today, men live as if there is no eternity. And as if this is all there is. And so, um, if you thought... Um, we have answers. You know, there is something that sets us apart. And, and if we were raised in a public school system, as most of us were, they told us that this is all there is. That's one of the things they go through to ingrain in you. No, we don't discuss afterlife. No, we don't talk about these things. All there is is the natural system. I can remember going through biology and, and asking questions of like, this doesn't even make sense. You know, spontaneous generation from a pile of rags made, made rats. I'm like, that's stupid. Yeah, and I had to write a special report on that because I made a flippant comment in class. And so, because I'm like, I'm just trying to think reasonably here. This doesn't make sense. Who would think that? You know, it's like, and, and, and yet it's still in there and it talks about it and, and the experiment and the experimental process has how it went. You know, I learned a lot from my flippant comment that I studied more. You know, but we are told that this is all there is. There is nothing after. That is just this now. There is no life after death. There's no accountability uh, for what we do. There's no rewards for what we do. It doesn't matter. You're nothing. You're going to return to your base elements one day. You know, and there might be a stone there with your name on it that'll last for a while, but eventually that'll fade away too. And so it's just, it seems pointless. It seems hopeless. It seems like, why? What's the purpose? And if we just took that statement on its own merit, you know, like, well, there is nothing, you know, that all that matters is this life. You think that if they truly lived as if that were true, then, as if this life was all there is, then life would be the most important thing in this world system. That they would defend life, they would fight for life, they would want babies to be born, they would want people to live a ripe old age because this is all there is, there's nothing on the other side, they would be for that. And yet, they live in total opposite of what they say they believe. Let's kill the babies, it's a waste of resources, you're living too long, let's get rid of you, let's get out of here, you're not profitable society. They don't honor life in anything, they just honor, I don't know what, <laughs> you know, themselves for wherever they are right here and now. But they don't act like it's true. They treat it as if life is cheap. As life is easy, as if life doesn't count anything, as if lives are expendable. 
It's usually because it's somebody in power saying, my life is valuable, your life is expendable. You know, somebody else is deciding that they never volunteer. Uh, Prince Philip wants to, and this is the man married to Queen Elizabeth, he wants to depopulize the world. That's a fun, nice way of saying kill people. It's like, go first. You know, you know, how come it's always somebody else? Why is it, why is it not, never the royalty? You know, they never, Jacques Cousteau, you know, the, 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 the oceanographer, he was, there's too many people, we need to decrease the world's population. Yeah. Volunteer, buddy. Uh, he finally did go, you know, not on his own choice, you know, but they're always, it's always someone else and never them. You know, that's, that's not valuing life. That's not saying this is all there is. You know, they want to say some lives are worth living and some lives aren't. They don't honor life. That's sad. It's depressing. They'll say some need to end. That's not a good enough quality. Or some are wasting resources. Or, you know, it's just backwards. They don't even believe their own story. They don't, even take, they don't even take their own hypothesis that they come to, and they don't live that out rightly. You know, that's wrong. It's convoluted. And it's because there is a God, and that we are in a battle, and Satan is against life, and he's trying to do anything opposed to it, and, and a lie falls apart everywhere where truth stands up. God did create us. He did make us in his image. There is an eternity, and he's placed that desire within us to live forever. To live forever, to desire more, to desire better, to yearn for a better country. That's within us, right? To have, it should be better. That's why we fight, that's why we live, that's why we do all these things. There's something in us that says there has to be that. And that's why I think Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, is one of the more important verses in the Old Testament, specifically, or in the Bible. It's one that's been important to me, and it's one that I've always had marked. And I draw an infinity symbol off to the side, and then... I always look at it and I think, why did I write a big number eight over there? Because that's what the infinity symbol kind of looks like. And then it makes me, oh, okay, that's there for me to remember that, that it says this. Because I think this verse informs you and I as Christians. I think it empowers us, at least it's empowered me, to be bolder in my conversations with people. Let's, let's read Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also he has set the world, or eternity, in their heart that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. That's a little poetical. The King James has the, the word, says they put the world in our heart, but it's the word eternity. Most Bibles have it interpreted eternity, or they have it off to the side. Mine has it off to the side. World here means eternity. He has put eternity in our heart. The desire to live forever is ingrained in human beings. Our desire to not die. Our desire to live, God has put within us. It's universal. You can go anywhere in the world. They all want to live. All throughout time, people want to live. They don't want to die. That's what we defend ourselves. That's what we fight. That's what we protect. That's what we build walls. That's where we put fences. We, we want to live. You know, so we put our seatbelt on and airbags and seat goodness and lights and stops and cautions and we train and we do all this because we want to live. And we put them in car seats and we put, put them in this. And we put on helmets and we put all these things because we want to live. We want to guard. We want to protect life. We put up fences. We put up boundaries. We put up guardrails. We put up all these things so that we have a better chance of living. It's worldwide. Global, it's universal with mankind throughout all time. See, and you and I can work with that. That common bond. As Christians, when we are witnessing to the lost, we can, we can use that. It tells us they want more, that there's a desire within them for their creator, whether they've really fully fleshed that out or not, that, that we could use that as a launch pad. That we can at least use to say that desire, your desire for more, you know, let's, let's try to stir that up. 
Let's try to make that come alive and to the point where let's research and find how can you live forever? How, do the, how does, does life go on? Is there life after death? Let's research these questions. Let's not be afraid of it and try to help you know, be, a, I guess, a tour guide in that sense. Let's go down these paths and see. And there's more in this verse. It's, it's a little harder to understand in the back half, but he says there... Um, Right after he says he put, uh, I'll read it again. He, he has made everything beautiful in his time. He's referring to all that list we saw before. So he has also set eternity or the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. No man can find out the work that God maketh. Basically, there's mysteries. There's mysteries. God has put mysteries in this life. It's my favorite shows. It's my favorite TV shows. Mysteries. You know, the mysteries, especially mysteries that are ancient, ancient mysteries. You know, who built the pyramids? Why is this down here? Machu Picchu, we found this rock, we found this boulder, we found this round thing, we found these lines of the desert, we found this, we found these, there's mounds in Indiana, there's mounds here. There's mounds. Well, who built these? What's going on? Yeah, that's right up my alley. Mysteries of, of why and what they did and what's going on and who they were and what technology, mysterious technology that they've had in the past. Mysteries of creation. Why is things made the way they are and how they are? That's there. The mysteries of life. Why are men, why are we here, why do we do what we do, and how do we react, and the, the universal things that we go through, why is that there? The, you know, the, the mysteries in, in history, you know, what was done, why did they do this, you know, who was that great wall keeping out, and what was this, go- you know, all these different things that could come up, and all the, uh, the hypotheses and conjectures, and we think we know, and we'll think we might know, and then they're like, yeah, that's a little too biblical, we can't say that one, and, and they wrestle with all that, and so it's just all those mysteries, the whys. All the ones, the mysteries that point to the purpose in life, those, those, those mysterious questions. Why am I here? What's going on? All those. Those are in every person. The desire to live forever and to have answers to mysterious questions. Those are in mankind. That is there. We have that desire. There is a conversation you can start with anyone. Hey, you ever want to live forever? You ever thought about living forever? You ever thought about life after death? Ever, what about some of these mysteries? Who built the pyramids? What's going on? What's in the new chambers that they found we haven't researched? You know, someplace where you can launch into the mysterious things and, and to start a conversation. February 23rd, Friday. A headline in our news. Uh, it was a news article, uh, and here's the headline. Swedish scientists to revive the dead in robots with AI or artificial intelligence. Sounds like science fiction, is what the first paragraph says, but they intend to make fully conscious copies of dead of the dead in a bid to offer digital immortality. Because the desire is in their heart to live forever. Our bodies wear out. I know, let's make new bodies. We'll download our consciousness into some AI, artificial intelligence. We'll put that into a robot that looks like the people's, the plan. Funeral homes come up with this. And we'll put them in there and they'll be able to, to, to live forever. The desire for eternity is within them. And they'll look for anything under the sun, just like Solomon. They don't want to consider God. They don't want to consider what the Bible has to say. What can we do outside of God to live forever? I know artificial intelligence. Let's download that. I mean, we've all heard the rumor that they kept Walt Disney's head frozen, you know, so that they could revive him one day. And there's whole cybernetics, it's <laughs> cryogenics, or that they keep body parts frozen, hopefully that they can find answers to cure their disease and bring them back to life. You know, there's a whole industry for that. Um, earlier this summer, uh, there was a, um, they did the first successful head transplant. Uh, it was on cadaver to cadaver. But the, the, their plan is to, if someone gets sick and they've got cancer really in their body, that they could put it on another living body and live forever in that way. Who's volunteering for that? You know, on the, on the other half. You know, and so, again, trying to find some way under the sun to be able to live forever. 
February 2nd, there's an article that says your whole body could be replaced and upgraded with the robot parts by 2070. Science fiction shall become science fact, it says. That was right out of the article. Because eternity's in man's heart. They want to live forever. And they want to try to attain it under the sun without considering God. But there is no answer for that under the sun. It hasn't worked. The promise is always 10 to 20 years away and that date just keeps shifting as we go in the future. It's all, oh, it's out there. It's all, it's out there. It's all, it's out there. We do a lot of advanced things. You know, we have a lot of benefits in this room because of advanced technology that God has given to mankind to preserve life, and it should be, and we ought to. But to try to seek eternity outside of Christianity? No. Because there is no right answers. There is no true answers if you limit yourself to being without God and without eternity. There are no true answers. And that's what Solomon's trying to do. And that's what the world tries to do. We can't consider that as an option, as what they want to say, to either of those questions. There are no answers in this world for, again, living forever, outside of God, outside of eternity. And there's no questions in this world about the universal mysteries. They'll just keep saying it's a mystery, or they'll put it off, or they'll push it to another planet, or something else in that way. Solomon tried. Solomon searched it out. (laughs) Solomon spent all his resources trying to investigate these things, to look for answers. Verse 12, he says, I know that there is no good in them, but for men to rejoice and to do good in this life. He's like, Solomon's conclusion is, I came to a conclusion, there's no real conclusion. There's no real answers at man's attempt. So Solomon says, live a good life. You know, hey, we don't know if we're going to live forever. Live a good life then. You know, at, least, at least have a good life now. Maybe some answers will come up, but you know, we're not going to have most of them. You don't know. But he says, live a good life. But that falls so short. Falls short of wanting to, of our desire to live forever. To just say, well, let's live a good life now because we never know when our life might end. Verse 13, he says, and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of his labor. It is the gift from God. He goes, oh, well, just try to enjoy what you're doing. Enjoy your gifts. Enjoy what you have. Enjoy your family. Enjoy these things. And, and that's good. We should enjoy what we have. But it's not truly satisfying for our question to live forever. And it's not truly satisfying for our, these mysteries we have. And he's like, just make best with what you got. It's kind of what he's got. Make best with where you are. Make best with what you got. And that's okay. But it doesn't answer those true longings that we have written on our heart. Verse 14, he says, I know that whatsoever good, or I know so, uh, for whatsoever that God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, or anything can be taken from it, and God doth it, and that men should fear before him. So I do find it interesting that he's trying to find answers outside of God, but on these deep subjects, he finally has to turn to, there is a God, and God is doing things. And so he's thought turns to that, and so he continues on, verse 15, that which has been is now, and that which is to be hath already been, and God required that which is past. And moreover, I saw under the sun the place of judgment, that wickedness was there, and the place of righteousness, that iniquity was there. So he thinks about these things, and he's thinking about under the sun, and he says, you know, we know this too, that in our heart is written that there is a judgment, that there is a place one day when things will be judged, where wicked things will be judged, and where righteous things will be judged. That's kind of written on us as well, we know that. Uh, the world system, they come up with everything in the world. They don't want to be accountable to God, so they'll say, you'll reincarnate and maybe you'll be better next time. Well, who's in charge of that system? 
Someone's got to be in charge of that if you're going to be a cow or a bug or you're going to be a person or you're going to be a king or you're going to be somebody who's, you know, reincarnation. Or, you know, maybe we'll evolve higher. I hope that my next life, I evolve to be higher to whatever it is. Again, why? You know, who's in charge? What's going out there? But they're hoping that there's some progression. Um, I hope I achieve nirvana. I hope I come to nothingness in that way, which sounds horrible to me. You know, who wants to be nothing that they want that? On and on and on. They have all these answers that they're trying to seek and they're trying to plug in. But most of it, you know, people at least then was come to the conclusion, well, maybe I at least hope that my life mattered. You know, that I hope it, it counted for something. I hope that I did something good, that I made a mark while I was here, that some little mark that hopefully it'll continue. Maybe it won't. I don't know. But I hope that I, hope that I make some kind of mark and people will remember me. And people get desperate and they get down to that part and that's when they turn to, well, nothing really matters and there is no judgment. I want to make a mark and I want people to remember my name. Well, the easiest way is to be evil. I'll just be evil. Uh, See me. Look at me. That's what all these school shooters are. Look at me. Look who I am. All the threats of school shootings we've gotten in our state since the the last one was uh, in in Florida and and around the country has been people attention-seeking. You know, to try to put their name out there, want to do it, they'd have called in. And we've had multiple in our county where they've called in for these things and to do that. And it's because they want attention. Look at me. I saw somebody with a gun or I thought of this. They want to be the hero. They want to go that way. I think we need to quit glorifying them. You know, quit putting a tally mark up like it's the Olympics. Oh, Alec, you know, Harrison Klebold, you know, they had this many dead, but ooh, Cruz set a record in Florida. Who will break the record? You know, they put these tallies, they put their faces up there, they glorify them. You know. Why should we know their names in that way? Say, call them mass murderers. Call them what they are. Like the, the, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what the true answer is in, in that. But it's wrong. And we've built it up to this. We told them they have no hope. They told them that nothing matters. We tell them all these things. And they go seeking attention. They go trying to make their mark you know, on these days and to do these things. Judgment is coming. They're not escaping judgment. They're not getting by with it. They're not getting away with it. Verse 17, he said, I said in mine heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time and there for every purpose and for every work. He says judgment is coming. We know that. The lost know that. They can weigh these things out and they're like, they know that there is some judgment. They might not like it, but it's written on their heart that there is a judgment. Are we ready for that judgment? No, if, if we're living as if there is no God, you are not prepared for that judgment from that day. And we'll get to that answer more as we go further here. But no, if you're just living under the sun, you are not prepared to stand before God in this judgment. A God that you tried to live without and a world system that you tried to say he didn't exist. I wouldn't want to stand there on that day and say, I denied you my whole life. I tried to live a life and, and, and try to convince others that you weren't real. And yet we see it in the media all the time. Mocked and made fun of the Christians. Verse 18, he says, I said in my heart concerning the estate of the sons of men, that God might manifest them, or show it to them, that they might see that they themselves are beasts. Now, he's not, he's not lobbying for evolution here. He's not saying that, oh, men are made up of animals. He's not saying that. He is saying that in the observance of the world, I want people to understand what happens to beasts happens to mankind too. It's common. There's a common bond here for life on this earth. And he's going to explain that here uh, 
in the next verse. But he says, I want you to see that there's, there's a common thing that happened within animals that we see that happens on a faster pace and more readily among the animal kingdom than it does for mankind. But I want men to understand that is, is what, he's, what he's pleading for here. Verse 19. He says, For that which befalleth the sons of men befalleth beasts. That's so he's talking about this action. The thing that happens to beasts happens to mankind. Even one thing befalleth them. As the one dieth, so, the, so dieth the other. Yea, they all have one breath, so that man hath no preeminence above a beast, for all is vanity. He says, men are smart, men are intelligent, men are thoughtful. Men have technology. We use a lot of things to our advantage. But just like an animal, we die. And we see that, right? We see them on the side of the road. You know, we have them for dinner. <laughs> we, have, we see it all the time. It seems like an animal. If we have a beloved pet that we love and we cherish, you know, in our lifetime we'll have three or four beloved pets that we love and cherish. There's life cycles faster than ours. You know, that, 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 that's, uh, we see these things, we have an investment in them, we understand the sorrow that it is. You know, pets, that's good in that way. It's a good education. It's good to love an animal. You know, it's good for a child to learn through the loss of an animal before it becomes a family member in that way, to teach them and instruct them in that way that this is what happens. And, Solomon is saying we need to understand that, that these animals are here for an example for us, that you're going to die. That one day we're all going to die, and we need to be prepared for that. He goes, I wish that, I wish that we would. As smart as man is and as advanced as we are, we, we can't beat this. The statistics are the same, one out of one. We all die. You know, none of us make it out of here alive. And he says it's vanity. He goes, when I think about it like that, he goes, it just seems empty. It seems like, why? What's the, what's the purpose? Verse 20, he says, and all go to one place. And all are of the dust. And all turn to dust again. He's talking about the grave. And just like men and just like animals, we returned. And then as all men do, no matter who they are, whether they're a raging atheist denying that there's a God, secularists, or people who are just living for here and now in this world, to shamans, to monks, to pastors and laymen alike. We all come to this question, verse 21. And who knoweth the spirits of man that goeth upward and the spirits of the beast that goeth downward on, uh, to the earth? Wherefore, I perceive that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his own works, for that is the, his portion. For who shall bring him to see what shall be after him? It's universal. We think about it. We come there and we're like, did they go up or did they go down? We kind of have that direction imprinted on us as humans. It's like, were they righteous or were they not righteous? You know, we kind of have that. Did they go up or did they go down? Do all people go up and all beasts go down? Do all, do all go? You know, he kind of has that, where do we go? But here's what we know. When we come to a funeral, we're like, they're somewhere. It's written on our heart. They are somewhere. That's where they live, but that's not them. Did they go up? Did they go down? It is written on us. And we have the question about pets still to this day, right? Do pets, you know, they have so much emotion. They have so much going on. You know, um, Elaine and I spend a big part of our time together talking to the dog. You know, he's our mediator sometimes. Hey, let's go do this. Let's go <laughs> or whatever. And so you're going to eat that? <laughs> that's usually what he's saying. Can I have your plate? Uh, but, you know, but he's, he has all these conversations. He's there. And you think about, man, you know, we think I have these questions. You know, what happens at death? Where do we go? Some hard things that Solomon gets to. And, he gets, and at this point, you know, he's at chapter 3, and he's like, well, 
it's empty. It just seems so empty. It seems so vain. Can we know? Is there answers to these hard questions that Solomon has brought up? Yes. Turn with me to John 14. And I think the universalness of these questions is to draw us to the universal answer. John 14, verse 6. This is, again, after the Last Supper. Jesus has taken the Passover meal and converted it into the communion meal that we will celebrate later this morning as a memorial so that we remember him and what he's about to do. We remember what he did. He did do what he set out to do. Now he begins to encourage the disciples and he talks to them. And he ends it with the prayer that we're going to be studying tonight. But here he talks about heaven, he talks about eternity, and then he comes to verse 6 and he says, Jesus said unto him, so John 14, 6, Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus is so many things. He's the answer to so many things. He's the treasure, a mysterious treasure that we search for. He's that pearl of great price in the parable that he tells. He's the answer to the hard questions. And it sounds trite, and we kind of sometimes make fun of the Sunday school kids when we're asking questions, you know, if they're only half paying attention, you're like, hey, who? You know, what? you ask a Bible question, they're answering Jesus. You know, and that's kind of a, you know, a good trait to have. He is the answer. He's the answer to all these things. Do men live forever? Yes. But if you want to be the up, yes, with Jesus. If you have Jesus, yes, you can live forever in eternity. How can we live forever? Jesus. Do you have Jesus Christ as your Savior? As he paid for your sins, he is the answer to that question. How can we live forever? It's not technology. It's not AI. It's not a head transplant. It's not whatever weird thing they're going to come up with. It's not that. It's Jesus. Is he the mediator? Is he the one who's covered you and protected you so that you can enter into eternity and stand before God with your sins covered by his righteousness? Can we find answer to the mysterious questions of history? Yes, in Jesus. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He's the answer. He was the one who knows all these things. He was the one who was there. What was the creation of the world like? He was there. He'd be a great one to ask, right? And so he's told us things in Genesis and other places sprinkled out the Bible. But one day, I think we'll be able to sit down and ask him these great and wonderful questions. And I look forward to those answers. I look forward to that class time. It's kind of a joke in my house whenever I like watch a Discovery Channel show, like how it's made or what's this going on or this in history. My wife would be like, I slept through that film strip in, in class. You know, it's like that way. <laughs> but, you know, there, there's going to be time where we're going to have the most amazing teachers showing us the answers and the mystery of how these things were. We'll be fully engaged with it. How can man live forever? That's one of the big questions, right? How can man live forever? Jesus. The Savior, right? He's the one who came down. It was the mediator who took the wrath that should have been upon us that would send us to the down place. And he can transform us into the good team. You know, by repenting and trusting him, he covers us, cleanses, takes and pays for all of our sin, gives us his righteousness. So now that we're going to heaven, not because we are good, but because he is good and because he's paid for our sins. How do we escape going down? Jesus, he's the escape. He's the answer. He's our rescuer. He's our redeemer. He's the fireman who pulls us out of the fire. He's the one who died for our sins. He's the answer. You know, how did you go up? Jesus, you know, all, all these questions. 
Why are we here? That's a hard question for humanity. Why are we here? To glorify God. That's, that's the chief purpose of man. Catechism. If you teach your kids catechism, first one you learn is this one. What's the chief purpose of man? To glorify God. How do you do that? By receiving His Son, Jesus Christ, as Savior. Be in that right relationship with Him. Then live a life that is pleasing to Him, honoring Him, pointing people to Him, thanking Him, proclaiming Him, and all these things that we do because He's received us and because He's rescued us, because He made a way of salvation for us. Jesus is the answer. But what about those hard, earthly questions? Like, what about global cooling? What about global warming? They can't make up their mind. Depends on what day it is, right? <laughs> we, have, we have a cold winter. It's going to be the worst than the blizzard of 78. It's going to be the wettest and warmest. And we don't know. What about famines? What about the earth slowing down its rotation? We have to add to the clock all the time. What about the UV rays that are coming through and cooking us? And what about blah, 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 whatever it is? What about pollution? We're pumping out all this pollution. We're killing the soil. We're killing the oceans. We're killing all this. And we really are. And what about all that? How can we heal our earth? It's not how. Who? Jesus. And you can read through the Bible, it talks about when he comes back down, he begins to terraform the earth. He begins to mold it into the Garden of Eden in which it was started, how the fountains come forth and how the fountains are like for the healing as it goes forth. It touches the land and begins to restore it all, return it as it was was supposed to be. Jesus is the answer. He purifies the earth and ultimately he'll make all things new. I just thank God that we live now. That we have a complete Bible, that we have answers, that we can have the Old Testament that posed a lot of these hard, hard questions, and we have the New Testament that Jesus takes head on and says, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I am basically the answer, and we could take all morning, and I could look at a hundred verses where he answers this, that, and the other thing, but he's the answer. But I'll, we'll skip to this. We'll look at Acts chapter 4. We'll start verse 8. Acts chapter 4. Verse 8. After the resurrection, after the ascension, Jesus has gone up to heaven. After the Holy Spirit has come down and and come on those who believe, those who repented and trusted Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit comes on and powers them. They have power. They have a confidence. They've seen the risen Christ. They've been given their marching orders. Christ has gone up. He leaves the disciples in charge, and they're on fire for the Lord. And they're bold, and they're bold, and they're proclaiming because they've seen it, and they know, and their lives have been transformed. This man was dead, and he's alive again. The Holy Spirit is upon me, and it's new, and it's fresh. And they they feel it. You know, it's not... Like where we've lived with it and we've gotten used to it. No, it's need to take that sensitivity of it. Here, it's come upon them and, and it's fresh to them. And Peter is now proclaiming before the enemies, which is a hard thing to do, to stand in front of your enemies. And so chapter 4 and verse 8, it says, And then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost is speaking through him, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and the elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to this impotent man, they may be able to walk, it says, By what means he is made whole? Be it known unto you all, and to all people in Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which is set at naught of the you builders, which has become the head of the corners head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus is the answer. He tells them there's no other name. There's one name, Jesus, to the point where the Old Testament, <clears throat> there is a book you know, after the law that points it together. What is the answer? And it's written as Joshua in our, but it's Yeshua. It's Jesus written in the Hebrew tongue. He's the answer. It's proclaiming to us even in the Old Testament. And we have things in the text that point to him. The types of the Son who comes, who has the answer, who can deliver the world, who can rescue everyone, pointing to him. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Do you have him? 
If you have him, that means he has you. And he says, no, I don't lose you. We even sang about it this, this morning. How firm a foundation. I will never, no, never, no, never forsake and never let go. I have you. I will deliver you. He is the answer. I'll deliver you to eternity. I'll deliver you into my Father's house. I'll deliver you to your comfort, to your rest, to your reward. Well, we all have answers <coughs> to where you'll be able to live and rest. And those things that you desire, that you say in this world are so wrong, will be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. To see God, to get those answers, to have family together forever, as you know it's supposed to be. That rest and that comfort, that peace, that paradise, eternal life that we long for is in Jesus Christ, to live forever, have our sins forgiven. Read one last verse here in John 3. John 3, verse 36. John 3, 36. John 3.36 says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. He's the difference. If you're going to stay under the Son, if you don't have Him, there's no hope, there's no answer. You will feel futile and you will say, it's vanity, it's vanity, all is vanity, it's all empty. But if you have Him, He's the answer. He's the satisfaction. He's what we're thirsty for. He's the living water that, that gives us answers to this, to this life. And so we pray that we've all here this morning repented and trusted in Him. And if we've not, I pray that you would. He's the answer. He's what's lacking in your life. He's what you desire. He's the, the thing that will make you whole. He's the answer to all these questions. You just need to repent and trust in Him. And it takes that act of humbleness, that act of, I don't know it all. I need help. Rescue me, Jesus, and ask Him for it. And He says He will. He says He will. He says, I'll never turn anyone. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I pray that we've done so this morning. And I pray that that better equips us to approach the lost. Because they are thinking about eternity. They are thinking about mysterious questions. And we have the answer. And this answer can be scrutinized and has been scrutinized and holds up again and again and again. It's not trite. It's truth. Jesus. He is the answer. Let's close in prayer.